I'm your host, Vikram Ryan. Today, guys, we have uh, a real treat. We have a good friend of mine who's all the way from Germany. His name is Dr. Hassan Akram. He's the CEO and founder of Matrix GmbH, a uh, Munich-based software company, but he's better known as a million-dollar monk. He's earned a master's degree and PhD in computer science. He started his first business at age 24, and he's created multiple disruptive companies all over the world, guys. So you're going to learn how a real disruptor, a game changer thinks, how they, how he lives, how he thinks, how he works. And he's on a mission, my friends. He's on a mission to create 1 million millionaires by teaching people to work in flow and not so much hustle. What if you could reclaim hours of free time each week, create legacy building wealth and devote more energy to your passion projects without giving up on your career as a life-saving MD? My name is Vikram Raya functional cardiologist, high-performance coach, and real estate expert. And I'm here to give you the tools, strategies, and solutions you need to transform your life so you can unlock your limitless potential and achieve greatness all the while freeing up your precious time. Welcome to Limitless MD. Let's dive in. Hassan, welcome to the, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for the kind intro. Great to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. So, the the obvious question is going to be why do you proclaim yourself to be the million dollar monk? It's a great question. So the 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 answer is uh, really long. I try to give you a short format of it. So um, as I've written this book, the million dollar monk, I wanted to write a book for a long time, and uh, it took me six years to come up with this. And when I got a writing coach, it was done in six months. So. Um, when I was writing the book, um, I was I wanted to start with my origin, and uh, I come from a very spiritual family, a Sufi family, uh, and then I'm a scientist, and I'm an entrepreneur. So there are three different things: your spirituality. Uh, as a scientist, I am supposed to not go beyond the facts. Uh, spirituality goes way beyond the facts. You know, when this when science ends, spirituality kind of starts. Uh, the concept, the notions of Sufism starts there. And at the same time, as an entrepreneur, I want to, I want to grow. I want to uh, make money, so to say, right? So uh, the question was, how do I reconcile my spirituality, my scientific integrity, at the same time, my passion for entrepreneurship? Um, and I think it was around... 2010, I was in France in a city called Nantes uh, as a doctoral visit, uh, a visiting doctoral candidate. And I was in the lecture of my professor, Colin Gallagher, who was a maths professor, mathematician. And in this lecture, uh, for the first time, I got introduced to Gödel's incompleteness theorem, which says that, you know, there are truth out there but you cannot prove that that's true. And he mathematically proved that. So that is really painful for the scientific community because we thought that if anything is true, we can prove it. But there is a mathematical boundary now that no, not every true truth is provable. Um, that's kind of like free, that was the light bulb moment for, my, for me. It was like, wow, this is, this means that if I go beyond science, 
if there is truth out there beyond science, I will simply never know with my intellect. There is something beyond my intellect. That was the moment I, I started thinking that science is about like 300 years of development, right? Within this last 300 years, we created, in we, we have made enormous advancement in, in science and mathematics. However, in terms of cosmic time, this is nothing, right? And if we think within 300 years, the uh, maths and equations that we have created will be able to answer everything, we're wrong. And now we have a mathematical proof for that. So that led me to think that my scientist hat and the entrepreneur hat and the spiritual hat, they don't have to have to reconcile. You know, they can coexist. They can actually coexist very well. You know, once you know that um, be going beyond rational is not that irrational, then your thoughts have no limit, like the way you call your program limitless. You become literally limitless, right? So this is how I came up with the concept of the Million Dollar Month, because uh, I went through that path and I want to create, as you said, one million millionaire. And the path is a combination of do not deny science. I'm a scientist. I love science. You can't deny science. Science is fact. But also to keep an open mind to go beyond science and think something that would otherwise everybody would think, you know, irrational. If you oh, make ordinary let's, moves. Let's, let's take what you're saying here and. I, we understand sort of the origin of the Million Dollar Monk, and I see how you're weaving your scientific, scientific pursuits, spirituality, entrepreneurship. But why making this mission of one million millionaires? What is driving you to help create this kind of exponential abundance in the world? That's a great question. So, um, again, I have to go back a little bit toward my origin. When I was a, when I was a kid, I couldn't decide on what I want, want to be. You know, I wanted to be everything. You know, I mean, I wanted to be a doctor. I want to be an engineer. I wanted to be this, that. So I couldn't, couldn't decide. I was so curious. I didn't want to, you know, um, have a boundary too much of my knowledge. When I was a PhD student for the three years, I was solely working on my dissertation, which probably around 30 people in the world ever read, if at all. Right. And and 30, 20 people understands. And I really went worked on problems, which was rewarding. I met, you know, world renowned scientists. They, you know, I talked about my work with them. They appreciated it. It was rewarding. But I was working on a very specific problem for three years. Even if I read a novel, I was a bookworm when I was a kid. But if, during that time, even if I read a novel, I felt guilty because I'm taking my time away from my dissertation. Now. Although the journey was very rewarding, I had no regrets, but that was the time I gathered limited, the most limited amount of knowledge. Although I did my PhD. The moment I was done with the PhD, I held a postdoc position for three months. I literally knew that this is not what I want to do. Uh, I want to go back to entrepreneurship because I started my entrepreneurship in 2005. So I'm talking about now 2013 when I was doing my postdoc. I literally knew that I don't want to. I don't want to go in this path. And the moment I got out of academia, I started reading again, and my real development started. 
my real development started beyond that, you know, uh, very narrow path, which is rewarding in itself. But, you know, uh, this is not what I wanted to be. I wanted to learn and do everything. You know, I wanted to learn about health. I wanted to learn about, uh, you know, quantum physics. I'm a hobby quantum physicist. All, all these things started right after the PhD. And um, that mindset of like the abundance mindset helped me create also my mission. You know, I, I'm independent. The fact that I'm, I'm, I'm not doing a nine to fiver, I am, you know, defining my own way of doing, uh, living my life. It's rewarding. And, and I realized that, you know, the reason, the, the reason I'm here is to contribute. This is exactly what I was always thinking that, you know, there are two kinds of people they come. One is to really enjoy the holidays. I haven't taken a holiday for the last 20, 20 years. You know, um, I do go to business trip probably take a day off, but you know, those, those kind of holidays, these are, these are kind of like not for me. Uh, I'm here to contribute. Now the question is what to contribute. I can only contribute what I can. And I have been able to create a million dollar wealth, although I call it, you know, 1 million millionaire. I think I should revise it to 1 million, you know, 10 million nares. Like, you know, 10 million is not now the new million because of inflation, but that's a different story now. So since I know the formula, this is all here in your brain. I feel obligated to pass it along. And I wanted to set a target because you need a target. That's why there is a target. But to be completely frank with you, the magnitude does not matter. Whether oh. in my lifetime it's going to be 10 or a million millionaire, I don't care. The mission so, is more important than the goal. I want to get into sort of the millionaire monk. And then what I want to do is I want to move toward um, the amazing conversation we had at the Mastermind in Mexico where you, you shared uh, a novel approach to creating assets that most people don't even think about. So let's get to that in a second. But before we do that, tell me the number th- the top three principles or the three main principles a millionaire a million dollar monk espouses or these are the sort of the tenets of a million dollar monk yeah it's pretty simple the formula is pretty simple the first thing is you need drive yeah so if you do not have drive you can be very talented it's just not going to work and right. the intensity of the drive would also uh also correlate to the amount of success you will have so the best way to describe this drive is there was this Sufi story where uh, there was there was a Sufi guru where uh, somebody approached him uh, that hey I want to find God and the guru goes like you know come back tomorrow and he keeps saying come back tomorrow at one point the boy is saying hey you're telling me to come back every day so I really want to want you to want to teach me how to how to reach God then he takes him to a river and they the river is like you know. Uh, you can still walk in the, in the river, not that deep. They go and take bath in that river. So say, come, I'm going to teach you. We'll take bath in the river. All of a sudden, the guru pushes him under the water and holds him uh, tight. And with all his energy, he cannot get up. And he's almost dying, he cannot breathe. And at a point when he's about to lose everything, the guru lets him out. And he comes out. Uh, and he asked, are you out of your mind? What you're doing? I was almost dying. Then the guru asked him this question, that when you were under the water, what were you longing for? He said, I was longing for air. 
how much were you longing for? I was longing for as if I will die without air. I was almost going to die without air. So then the guru's answer was, when will you will have the same type of longing to find God, only then will you find him. So, of course, I'm talking about extreme drives. So the point is, the more drive you'll have, the better chances you'll have toward your toward reaching your goal. That's number one. You have to have enormous amount of drive. The second is you have to have the belief. You know, it's all, like I said, I mean, it's all in here. If you don't work in the belief system, no matter how tactical, strategic you are, it's just not going to work because you manifest your own reality. That's the principle of the, of the law of attraction. Uh, and it is so true that you, you whatever you think, whatever your belief system is, is now manifested in the real world. Uh, I would recommend one book that Transurfing Reality is an amazing book where they talk about these all these principles. Now, the third part is perseverance. Sometimes people ask me, hey, I want to do this. How much time do you think I'm going to need to build this business? My answer is always as long as it takes. Because, you know, you can achieve it in two months. You can achieve it in 20 years. It, it, it really, you can, nobody can tell, but what you need is perseverance. If you have these three things, the rest is, is going to come to you. The rest, you know, people are too much concerned about the rest, but they don't work on these three things. So that's the idea. That's awesome. So guys, it was drive, that intense energy. Uh, uh, and then the, the more intensity of the drive, the greater the success, the belief. Uh, you know, really, you manifest your own reality. So you have to believe something in your mind before you can hold it in your hand. And then the perseverance, it's, you know, it's until you you work until it doesn't matter. And that could be one year, 10 years, 100 years, but you just keep moving forward, KMF, keep moving forward. So awesome, awesome, awesome. So now let's talk about a very unique asset class that you've sort of become sort of a, uh, a, a uh, I guess sort of a teacher, a sort of a, a consultant and and sort of a master at that that's helping people create immense wealth, perhaps in Europe, perhaps all over the world. And that is buying businesses as assets. So can you share a little bit about that? Absolutely. So um, for a long time, I have try, I've tried to grow my business organically in a sense that, you know, without acquisition. And now, what is your business currently? I have uh, seven businesses. Oh, one is um, uh, the the one you mentioned. This is my uh, by far the most successful business. This is Matrix GmbH, where where we uh, make software that go inside the vehicle, inside the car. So automotive software. Um, then I have a couple of healthcare companies. Uh, one of them you I've spoken with you. This is the Brain Vincible, like the brain training, the brain health company. Then I'm buying. Um, uh, physiotherapy practice. This is this is and one of the very big successes. I have a real estate company and a couple of others, e-commerce com- e-commerce companies. So um, coming back to you know Matrix, when I was trying to grow it, I was trying to grow it organically without acquisition. Then I looked at the big companies. You know the big companies, if they had hadn't bought the right company at the right time, they wouldn't have been the, the biggest company today. And those who didn't buy are not the biggest player today. Well, let me give you some example. If, if Google hadn't acquired YouTube 
we would we would we probably would have questioned the position of YouTube uh, Google today. If IBM had acquired Microsoft, IBM would have been in a different position today. If Microsoft would have acquired Google, it would have been a different position today. So all these things that you know, either they bought those companies, bought the right company, that's why they're successful, or they didn't buy the right company, that's why they're not that successful. Like today, you know, OpenAI, Microsoft bought a very good, uh, very good portion. They're 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 questioning the existence of Google, right? So buying the right company is is essential. So we know that. We, and we know that these companies acquire and and then grow up after certain 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 point. Now I started looking. You know why can't you buy smaller companies? There are smaller companies out there, right? You don't have to be a giant. You don't have to be a a trillion dollar companies in in order to start acquiring. And I came across various people who does it successfully. The model is like aggregate and then exit, because when you will be buying, let's say. $3 million companies, you will probably pay a multiple of four or five, EBITDA multiple. So this is, this is, a, this is one of the very common way to you know, put valuation on a company, EBITDA multiple. So if you buy a company at a four or five EBITDA multiple and then buy 10 of them, aggregate, you can take it to a bigger player where you would um, ask for an EBITDA multiple of eight to 10. So this is one model. The other model is you keep aggregating and then you probably go public, right? So the magic, the advantage of doing this is I have built one business, which is Matrix, and then I started building Brainvincible. And then exactly then I realized, hey, what am I doing? I know, I know how hard it was how much work it was to build Matrix and I've started another company. It's like starting everything from the scratch. On the other hand, when you buy a company, pretty much everything is ready. You know, from day one, you get cash flow. Day one, you get cash, uh, cash flow. Vic, you buy real estate and your multiples are like 20, 25, even 30, right? Uh, so I'm talking about a multiple of four or five, right? So it's in terms of ROI, extremely attractive. The only thing is risk, obviously real estate is much safer and hence it's a better bet. But if you can play your cards right, this can also turn out to be a very good investment for you. So, you know, I have a lot of successful doctors, entrepreneurs, you know, high powered folks listening to the podcast and uh, they want to know, okay, what does it look like to buy a practice? So give us an, a real life example. Let's say I'm in the United States. I have maybe a group of people, we have maybe two or $3 million in cash ready to go. What can we buy? How does it make sense? We have a skill set of being a physician, but we're also entrepreneurs. Walk us through an example, perhaps, of how you evaluate companies. It's a great question. Great question. So my sister is also a physician. You know, uh, In Germany, the problem <coughs> is if you're not a physician yourself, you cannot own a practice. Otherwise, I would have gone in that route as well. That's why I I went to physiotherapy because healthcare is, is one of my one of my primary primary focus. Healthcare and technology; these are the two areas I, I never navigate. Um, in the United States, you're, you guys are physicians. If you're non-physicians, if you can can buy a practice or not, I I think so. You can also buy if you're not a, if you're a corporation, right? So this is a better 
environment in the, in the U.S. So you will, even if you buy practices, when you'll exit, you'll have uh, more um, more capital flowing in because there are other a lot of other people can buy it. So now, Hassan, are you a, a bit basically advocating to be basically small small private equity? Yeah, it could be. I'm not advocating any anything. I'm. Just, I mean, in, in um, essence, we are buying an existing business, looking for inefficiencies, and then aggregating multiple of those the same style of businesses and rolling it up and selling it to a bigger player. Is that what is that the essence of what you're doing? That's what that's one of the ways to do it. However, let me let me tell a talk from experiences. I have seen people who are just doing it for the sake of aggregating and exiting, sometimes stumbling. Whenever I start a business or buy a business, I set my mission. You know, if if the mission is to keep the business forever, you know, take take it take it public. If you're buying a business to sell, you're kind of like adopting a kid to give it back, right? You will not nurture it the way you should, and your business will not become that valuable. Think it in a way that I'm buying a business and it's going to be there for, for with me for the rest of your, your life. If there is an exit possibility coming. Of course, we'll talk about the numbers and set a mission for that. This is what I'm, I'm, I'm telling. The, the exiting, you know, private equity stuff, these are opportunities. There are other opportunities too. So that's, uh, that's you should definitely keep in mind what's your market value, where can you go and sell. You should keep that in mind, but please set a mission for your business. Like the physio, physio company that I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm Investing. And just to clarify, uh, in Germany, physio essentially means physical therapy in the U.S., right? Physical therapy in the yes. U.S. Yes. yes, it's physical therapy in the U.S. What our mission is to is to take the the way the the therapy is delivered to the next level. You know, we want to we want to uh, revolutionize that that uh, that that segment of the business, and we want to go global. This is this is really the mission. And when when is when you come up with a mission, your business is much more fun. Your 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 employees are engaged because you have to sell a dream to those people. You know, mere salary nine to five, it doesn't excite people anymore. You have to sell a dream. So if you have that, your company will be much more healthy and the valuation will be will be much better. If that's what you have in mind, keep it in mind, but come with a uh, with a mission and be ready to say no because. Uh, the worst time to sell a business is when you have to sell a business. So, uh, you know, there's some valuable advice, guys. This is uh, really from someone who's already done it and and been there. He's done seven companies and he's just getting started. I mean, I see him owning 100 companies at some point. But one of the advices that I'm learning from him is, you know, be a missionary, not a mercenary in the acquisition of these businesses and really have a dream and vision focus, sort of like, you know, enroll your team, get them inspired because they're more willing to work hard and really, you know, own the company as a lifelong strategy for cash flow. And if there's an opportunity for exit, so be it. But that may not be your first. I mean, this is the way to do it where it's passion driven versus you're, you know, you're just looking at EBITDAs and exits and it's very almost like a corporate raider kind of focus. So um, I like this um, more passion-driven business acquisition. Yeah, and and also you, it'll be easier for you to acquire. And if you're passionate, if you really show passion, and if you're not those corporations who are just trying to make money, 
This is what I see in the physiotherapy, physical therapy business here. They want to sell to us. They say no to those big corporations because we are more passionate about this. We're, we're you know, kind of like more family type company. So as we wrap up here, I know you had a really amazing point on where to find these unique businesses, whether that's in Europe where you operate out of or here in the United States where a lot of my listeners are. Um, what's the sort of what's the typical size of a company, the maybe the the industry that you would you potentially recommend for some of the doctors in this country? Like I, I remember you're giving us sizes of companies that are a little bit smaller than what large private equities want to take on, but they're large enough to where it makes sense and there's earning is a little more established. So give us some of those criteria to find a good business to acquire. And uh, I think you may want to mention that there is so many businesses that are started by first generation founders who don't have a succession plan. So maybe discuss that. Right. Um, it's a great question. So um, the business that you should look at is above 1 million, 2 million, and less than 10 million. One, two to 5 million is, is really the, 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 is my range because the, private equity companies are interested in 10 million plus. So they're too small for the private equity companies. At the same time, they're too big for one of their employees to take over or any, any other, other peers to take over. So they do not really have much choices. So you will get a, get a better deal in those sizes. Now, um, when it comes to practice, you know, they have really less choices because private equity companies, to the best of my knowledge, they're not not uh, they're not buying practices, at least not in not in Germany. Uh, and they will definitely prefer a physician to sell it to a physician. So if you are a bunch of physician grouping together, and if you have if you set a mission and you approach those, you will always have a have have a better chance of getting it by getting a better deal versus any any uh, private equity companies and then you can you can grow it like you know grow it like venerable has owns so many so many uh, you know uh hospitals and stuff so you could grow it to to a couple of hundred million dollar company and then once you grow to at that level you know you don't care about the exit because you'll have a good EBITDA right the exit, if the exit comes to you and you you like the numbers, then you can talk about it, but you can keep it. You can create a system that will always generate money. And there is no risk in, in, in healthcare. Healthcare is the best, you know, avenue you can, you should go to. Yeah. So Hasan, this has been an amazing conversation, man. A lot of information from the philosophical to the spiritual, to the entrepreneurial, to the scientific. It's, it's really uh, a credit to what you've created in your in your life and how you're willing to share it with the world. So thank you so much. What's the best way for people to learn about you, to work with you, to uh, to uh, read your books and all that kind of stuff? So um, they can go to the milliondollarmonk.com, www.milliondollarmonk.com. Um, find me on LinkedIn, Hassan Ibn Akram, a comma PhD. Find me on LinkedIn, connect, send connection requests on LinkedIn, or you know, write me in the Million Dollar Monk. I'll I'll be more than happy to respond. Okay, awesome guys. There you have it, MillionDollarMonk.com, as well as all the other social handles. And uh, 
this is a great information. Um, make sure you reach out if you want to find out more. And again, consider adding businesses as another asset that you can buy and take over and run, perhaps with yourself, or you can hire a team like a CEO and things. So hope that was helpful. Uh, thank you again for sharing the channel, sharing the podcast. And uh, guys, until next time, be phenomenal. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Limitless MD. If you found value from this episode, I encourage you to share this episode with a friend and let me know by leaving a review. For more information, make sure you check out the links in the show notes below or simply visit VikramRaya.com. So until next time, my friends, be phenomenal.